podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. We are back. We had international break last week, but we're back and we are rejuvenated. We're energised. We're feeling healthy and happy. Isn't that right, Gritton? Did you go? Did you go anywhere nice, Mark? Did I go anywhere nice? No, of course international I didn't. International break? No. No, nothing. Just, just back what you can hear, of course, is Martin Gritton. Um, right. Martin, you were missed last week. We were all missed last week. No podcast at all. Uh, do you feel refreshed, happy to go into this last stretch of the season? Well, do you know what? The games came thick and fast, didn't they, again, straight after the national break, which was, yeah. it was horrendous run of fixtures. There was nothing of interest. I don't know what's going on, but, but that just got them out of the way. So hopefully, um, yeah, proper football to <laughs> oh, look great. forward to. Well, stay tuned in for more positivity from Martin Gritton. Uh, alongside Martin, as ever, is Gareth Dobson. Hi, Gareth. Hi, yeah. Can I, be, uh, can I get some more sort of positivity from you, please? Yes, that's my most positive voice i'm very excited about the weekend coming and i'm really keen to forget uh, last weekend yeah well, as a spurs fan you will be we'll talk about them later on um oh, cool. but let's do it in chronological order this time round. so the game's coming up this weekend we'll start with the one on friday um which is fulham against wolves now we are on the home stretch it feels like it's now or never for teams like fulham for teams like newcastle for any of those teams trying to get into the top four it's now or never it feels like they missed out on an opportunity last weekend fulham uh talk me through last weekend and also talk me through how you see it going against wolves here gareth well i agree i i think possibly when they you know, do your season review on your preferred broadcast. So they may show that Fulham Villa game as the moment where, you know, Fulham essentially relegated themselves. It it was in their hands and it's now the second game in a row where, you know, they probably felt like they could have had a good result and, you know, they've walked away with nothing. So Nine it, was a, of it, it was, you know, I mean, you won the lot with 10 minutes left. You, you, you finished three, one down and, you know, you wonder how on earth your world collapsed, but it was kind of, I, I it's too easy to say it's their, it's their season in a nutshell, but they just don't quite have the quality to see it over the line. Um, you know, yeah. I, I suspect it's going to be over, over, you know, over 38 games. And I, I did feel awful for them because Aston Villa were, you know, they were absolutely dreadful. It was, you know, speaking to a, a Villa's point, a friend of mine who said, you know, I think that's the worst we've played this season. You know, we were talking yeah. during the game. And so to to go from there to to them scoring, you know, a, a, a bunch of goals and, and walking away with it must have been, you know, absolutely sickening. And I, I suspect most Fulham fans might quietly agree that, you know, coupled with a couple of results that didn't go in their favour, such as 
such as Newcastle, um, that might be curtains for them. Yeah, Martin, Fulham there. I mean, like Gareth says, they're 1-0 up with 10 or 11 minutes left. When they're then equalised against, Villa get the equaliser. Um, is it is it a lack of technical ability or is it a mental block that they've got? When you when you are clawed back to one all, if you can't see that out and just get something from that game at Villa, is that is that a mental problem? Do you think? Uh, it's a bit of a momentum shift as well, though. I, I, like you can't sometimes you just can't stop the flow and you just have to be relying on. I mean, look the finishes for. Villa were very clinical. Um, yeah. You you contrast that with, say, sorry, Gareth Spurs, um, and the way that Spurs didn't close out the Newcastle game. And you just say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Both of them in the post match, you got Jose uh, going. Um, oh well, you know, we're not up to, if we're not going to play up to the standards of this league, and it's like we're finding excuses. Whereas you know, Scott Park is like he hit the nail on the head when he said that they they just didn't deal with the transition when. The goal, they, they clawed the goal back, but they're also their their subs had an impact, you know. So Trezeguet was brilliant when he came on, and and it's funny, isn't it? Villa seem to have those players: El Ghazi, Traore. Um, uh, they've all got a world in them. Watkins, like. they have, and uh, do you know what? He's got some really, really talented players there, and I don't think we. Uh, Gareth's right. I mean, would, they, they played poorly, but I think they were expecting to have Grealish back. I don't know what happened yeah. there. I mean, do you, so he do you got injured in light? training. Yeah, he got into training the day before, I believe. I'm not sure if it's a recurrence of what had kept him out for the last five or six games. Um, but Yeah, they said no he basically idea. just no felt, when he's felt something. So they're kind of managing him. It is quite possible he'll be back next week. I think it was more a precautionary, we're not quite there thing. Yeah, but I think that's difficult for Villa because he is their talisman, and and when you're expecting him back and it doesn't happen, there is a bit of a you know it's a bit of an anticlimax and. I think that showed in the game a little bit. I don't think Villa were good at all, but it's that squad depth grits. It's like you say, I mean, they can bring good players off the bench. They can bring good play- players in to replace the likes of Grealish, the likes of Barkley. I mean, they're good. They're really, really excellent players. Yeah. yeah so that, there is a huge, huge difference there. Yeah, absolutely. And they would consider themselves a big club, you know, Villa have got the, they've got the means to, to get up there. So uh, if they can just add a few bodies to that, I do feel sorry for Fulham, but they, you know, it did feel like they're just running out of steam a little bit. Um, well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, I think, I think they asked this question, will, will Fulham stay up? I said, yes. Uh, I don't know what you guys said, but, so much has changed in such a short amount of time. I, I just don't know. I, I used, used the word momentum a minute ago there, Grits. It feels like the momentum's gone a little bit out of Fulham. And, and yeah, maybe they have run out of steam now. Yeah, well, well only one win out of five, haven't they? Uh, well, well, I don't know. That, that's what the form t- table shows at the minute. So, I mean, Newcastle, God, just dire. But managing to just get enough to, to cross the line. I mean, they were woeful against um, uh, Spurs, but managed to pull it back, you know, almost at the... Uh, at the cost of, of Bruce's well, we'll, tactics. But we'll get into Newcastle Spurs. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you know, I just keep, keep getting like drawn that. to that game like a monster no, I, flame. I know you do, Martin. I know you do. <laughs> a horrible two Gareth, don't you? Yeah. Um, on the flip side, let's talk about Fulham's opponents this uh, Friday night, uh, Wolves. Um, Wolves were on the end of uh, another Moyes attacking masterclass. 
last time out. I mean, I never thought I'd be saying that about it. It's ridiculous. You know what? West Ham are not supposed to be still in that top. What is going on? But you know what? They completely deserve it. They've, they've been phenomenal. And I thought the news of, of Declan Rice, who we talk yeah. about him a lot on the show. For me, he's the best defensive mid in the country. Um, he's certainly West Ham's most important player. I thought without him for the Wolves game and for the next you know, three or four weeks at least, I thought they'd really struggle. But they were superb against Wolves. Okay, they nearly had the whole uh, the whole Arsenal um, oh. result again, where they were was it three 0 up and back to three all. But they held out and they managed to they managed yeah. to stick that one out. West Ham so impressive. Wolves though, I mean, okay, let's talk about that. What's going to happen with them against Wolves, Grits? They looked so stale, didn't they? I thought um, stale. Just just they, they didn't they didn't have anything. And and West Ham, it's funny. I think people are genuinely shocked. It's like boxers when when you, someone hits you and you don't know how hard they punch. West Ham just yeah. seem to keep doing that to teams this this season. It's like. No, um, you're not going to be stronger than Antonio. Uh, you know, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be able to handle Linda Lingard running off. Yeah, it's Susek and Dawson attacking set pieces. It's it's sensational. But um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's so many fragile p- pieces to that now. Unfortunately, Antonio just looks like a man that he's just like he plays at such a high intensity. You're watching him run, going just. Just slow down, mate. Just take it easy. Take your foot off the pedal. But he, he can only play all or nothing, can't he? So, um, you know, that's, that's, well, the Wolves, way, that's the way he plays. Wolves couldn't handle um, Antonio. They couldn't really handle Lingard. Um, but Gareth, have, have Fulham got anything like that that Wolves need to be worried about? This is, this is the issue. They don't really have anything, do they? Uh, Fulham, I, I don't think so. They have um, they have good players. They seem to have a, yeah, good, you know, yeah. a, a lot of good, you know, technical players with, with some ability but and I hate sort of putting the you know the, the Allardyce or Burnley card but I don't know how much they have in the sort of roll your sleeves up grit department I, I'm pretty sure that all comes from uh, Scott Parker looking very sort of yeah. stoic and you know come on lads but um, it, it, if you're gonna you know get into you know, do they have the intangibles to to really sort <laughs> of grind out you know yeah. those one nil wins, and I, I'm not sure they do. It, it is quite remarkable that they're, they're still in with a chance of staying up because, again, this was a, a team that was basically put together right on the transfer deadline um, at the end of August, starts or sort of end of September. It was a I just yeah. the late starts of the season, and so they've done really well to get to here. But yeah, I, I do think it's a case of run out of steam, and um, and the flip side that with Wolves. Uh, I think stale is 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 a very good description. It, I don't think we can overstate how much losing your 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 star striker, probably your best player, Raúl Jiménez, essentially for the entire season, has mm. had on a team. Which is, you know, it's a limited squad in terms of numbers. I think they've always been a very small, tight squad the last couple of years. And you know, when they do lose key key men, and you know, selling obviously uh, Diego Jota now looks like a a terrible mistake in terms of how well. He's played at he's played at Liverpool. I don't think Wolves necessarily saw him or valued him as that that yep. level of player. Um, so maybe hindsight's a little harsh. To say well, yeah, they they sold their second best player, but um, yep. yeah, without without him and as you know, they are so incredibly toothless. 
Neto, Neto's your only option. And I, I, I fancy Fulham. I mean, and, and all, not just off the back of what we're saying now, but Fulham, Fulham do have enough. Fulham's best defence is attack. And when they went to Liverpool, when they've gone at teams, they've torn them to shreds and teams can't get in behind them. But they're the, they're the second lowest scorers in the league, though, Grits. Yeah, I know. But what they do is they play higher up the pitch. As soon as they sit back, they're, yeah. they're stuffed. So yeah, um, yeah. No, so if, if those if you get Lukman uh, playing to capabilities, Cavalero and um, or Cordoba and those guys in behind, so yeah. I mean um, they've got a chance. Yeah, I, I think Wolves. I mean, to be fair to them against West Ham, they they also didn't have not only Jimenez, they didn't have uh, Yamatino either, who's you know pretty crucial to that side. Um, and the Jota transfer, yeah, okay, in hindsight, it doesn't look great. I think they expected more from uh, from Podence this season. I think Neto's been excellent. Uh, Traore, when he plays well, and, you know, he's capable of unbelievable things like he was for the first goal against West Ham. But he's not quite consistent enough, and, and that's been their issue. And on top of that, you know what? Wolves are a boring team to watch at the moment. I, I don't really have any sympathy for teams in the Premier League who don't try and attack, and, and they don't really try and do it enough, especially given the quality they've got there. Anyway, I think maybe let's move on, um, I want to talk about a pair of fixtures. They are the reverse fixtures to what was the most ridiculous weekend earlier in the season. Liverpool versus Villa, which ended 7-2 last time out, and Spurs against United, which ended up, was it 6-1, Gareth? Uh, um, 6-1 I think so yes. yeah I think it was, was but those time. games the really, it feels like a million years ago yeah. it was, that was this season um, the reverse fixtures of those have been played this weekend let's start with Liverpool against Villa um, I don't know if you guys saw Liverpool uh, both against Arsenal in the Premier League last weekend mm-hmm. and against uh, Real Madrid midweek but absolutely completely <laughs> the opposite performance I didn't really understand what I was looking at in the Madrid game it was just Liverpool in the Champions League is, is supposed to be exciting and they're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to provide uh, high energy, high pressing and good football. And, and we didn't get any of that in the first half against Madrid. No. I wonder what sort of hangover we're going to see against Villa, because actually this is a game Liverpool absolutely need to win. Uh, Gareth, talk me through everything I just said, but from your opinion. So uh, <laughs> I guess quickly with the, Champions League, they they played very within themselves. You know, the the throttle was very much uh, not open. Um, And also, probably the most damning thing is, I I think, tactically, they they just got completely shredded by uh, Real Madrid. And especially, you know, Tony Cruz, who just just picked them apart. I mean, he's he's such a... Like a creaking Real Madrid side, though, right? Yeah, and, you know, one shorn of its kind of sort of iconic stars that we think about, you know, people like Bale in this pomp, and and obviously Ronaldo. You know, they're... They've got some good young players, people like uh, Vinicius and and so yeah. forth. But yeah, it's not quite the team it used to be. Um, but you know, Tony Cruz was 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 exceptional, and he kept finding the space behind the you know the fullbacks. They knew that the fullbacks were going to push on, and that was going to be how they exploited it. The difference, obviously, this weekend is that Villa don't have a Tony Cruz. This this, this may be a shock to you, um, but John McGinn, I, what are you talking about? Sorry, they do have John McGinn. John McGinn, who will uh, McGinn. <laughs> rather than sort of ping balls 40 yards he'll just sort of run at you breathlessly um, but I, I, I suspect that Liverpool will be better uh, against Villa because they won't uh, face the same sort of threat and I mean they you know at the weekend they played well against uh, Arsenal it was incredibly comfortable I mean I, yeah, I don't Arsenal know this do that, didn't they yeah and it's 
you know, if you're Arsenal, it's the classic, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Well, that, I think that's how their their fan base feels about it. Every time Arsenal, like, they're progressing, they go and drop an absolute clangor. And, you know, a, a team like Liverpool is who they want to measure themselves against. And wherever it seems to happen, they, they, they seem to still be coming up a little bit short. But, um, yeah, with Liverpool, I, I don't know. I mean, Villa... I think they'll feel that with Grealish they have a chance, especially against the, an inconsistent Liverpool team who have been playing better. I, I'm inclined to say the Madrid game is not really reflective of, of their last few weeks and the fact that they have been picking up a bit and they're starting to look dangerous yeah. again. Um, but, but this Villa team tore them to shreds. They have no fear against Liverpool. Do you know what I mean? They absolutely destroyed them uh, this season. So I, don't, I, don't, I can't see how they would be I totally think Liverpool should obviously win it on paper, but yeah, it's such an interesting fixture, isn't it? Because yes. Villa are just a complete wild card. They're great. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, to watch them, I, I, you know? I agree. I, I think that Liverpool would prefer to play this away from home. I, I think, I think this game. Let, let's assume Grealish is back. Um, I don't know why we're doing that, but let's assume it anyway. Um, this is the Liverpool side that got torn apart by Grealish and co when they had Van Dijk and Gomez at the back. Now, I know it was that mad start of the season where up was down and down was up and nothing was the scene, but it still happened. So if Liverpool go into this game looking for revenge, I think they're going to be pushing too hard and I think they could come unstuck. Um, but you know what? Just talk about that Real Madrid game for a second. That, that tie isn't dead. That you know They've still got an opportunity there because I still think that, okay, there's no fans for the second leg at Anfield. But it is still Liverpool in the Champions League, and it is still Anfield, and there is something magical about that place on European nights. And I think that Real Madrid players will still be worried about that going in. And unless Madrid score the first goal quite early, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna be a good shout there for Liverpool still. But this Villa game, grits, um, it's now or never for Liverpool, isn't it? Well, it is. Start picking up points. They've got nothing to lose. I mean, they should be playing without fear in the league now. All of them. There's just it's so funny, isn't it? How it's a perfect example of how how quickly things can set in and and how difficult it is. Even a man of uh, Klopp's charisma and charm and talent, uh, yeah. you know, certain things are just out of your hands, and and you you know you, you have to you have to adapt. And I'm and I'm sure I'm sure they'll bounce back next season. Yeah, Gareth, do you think this is just a a blip, or do you think this is uh, indicative of further problems at Liverpool that maybe we're not we're not able to see? I, I I think there's going to be some notable movement in the in the attacking section, uh, yeah. especially. And if any of those big three players move on, then you know that that's headline news because of how well they've done and, and what names they they are now. But they they will ha- definitely have to make renovations. I mean, the midfield is you know going to start creaking a bit. Milner I assume's going to going to leave. Um, Wijnaldum, I wonder. You know, Sounds like he might be off, doesn't it? Yes, and then on top of that, you know, Henderson is not a young player anymore. You know, and he he's been carrying injuries, and maybe he starts creaking a bit. So they're going to have to look to fresh, refresh there. Um, and you know, obviously, equally the centre back uh, positions are. You know, you assume it's Gomez and and Van Dyke, but you know, I think they realise Canate coming in as well. Apparently, so. Uh, who's a a very yeah, a very good player who's done who's done very well in uh, in the Bundesliga. And another excellent French centre back. They seem to just have a production line of them. Oh, ridiculous! Um, 
and it's but I think you know they've realised that there's no way they can challenge on multiple fronts, and you know it only took one or two injuries for their defence just to you know to look yeah, completely yeah, yeah. capitulate, capitulate. So there, yeah, there's a lot of work to do next season, but you suspect that there is the the commitment to do that. I, I think you know they they have been embarrassed. It's been one of the worst title defences in in modern in modern Premier League history. Yeah, enormous drop-off. That can't just be down to a few injuries. There's definitely something else happening there. But I think Klopp is the right guy to keep, and I can't see any reason why I'd get rid of him now. Um, let's talk about the second uh, reverse fixture of the mad results with your team, Spurs, against United. 6-1 last time at Old Trafford. I don't think this is going to be the same result. Last time out, you played Newcastle. Grit says Newcastle were terrible. I don't agree with that, actually. I thought Newcastle were pretty good. Um, they actually tried to attack and tried to play football, which was something that Spurs didn't really try to do. Um, Gareth, talk me through as succinctly as you can your feelings at the moment of being a Spurs fan and lurching from humiliation to humiliation every other week. It's it, it's thoroughly Groundhog Day esque, uh, <laughs> or certainly in terms of the movie. Um, it's it's frustrating because you can see it coming every time that the moment that Spurs score, you know, a goal or two goals, and and whether it's subconscious or tactical, Mourinho will blame the players. The players, I suspect, feel this is the way that they've been trained. But you know, they invite the opposition on, and they like to come, in and they are not defensively good enough to to stop it happening. It, it's you know, Newcastle, they, they made a big, you know, there was a big point in the media that they had an XG of, it was like over four, it's like 4.25, one of the highest XGs yeah. in the legal season. And it's the most sort of expected goals Newcastle have been attributed to for like four or five for years. seasons, yeah. And for years. There's, you know, that's not because, uh, as perfectly good as Newcastle were, that's not because they suddenly turned into the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, Mourinho essentially made the game as easy for them as, as it could possibly be. I mean, they were, you know, they could easily have won the game. It's because Spurs are so clinical uh, between Kane and Son that those two make the team look better than they are. They, they, their conversion rate is exceptional. They, you know, they don't miss yeah. many sitters. And so suddenly you go, oh, yeah, Spurs playing terrible. Oh, they've scored again. Oh, it must be okay. But I think, yeah, we talk about Raul Jimenez. Can you imagine where Spurs would be if uh, Harry Kane had taken his traditional two-month uh, ankle break? Uh, this <laughs> yeah, season? absolutely. They would probably be, you know, easily be in the lower half of the table. Uh, but absurdly, you know, between fourth and seventh place, there are only three points in... Uh, you know, for, for a Champions League spot. So it is all to play for. And it's an, it's another must-win game that Spurs won't win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's fourth to seventh, I think it is, Gareth, for those three points. But yes, um, I completely get your point. I, this is the thing. Spurs are still in it, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they've got eight games left. They've got eight games left, starting with this one against United, which would, first of all, be a huge personal victory for, for Jose. But also would just really put them in it. And, and United at the minute, Grits, they've got Granada sandwiching these uh, this Spurs game, which I think is probably more important to them anyway, isn't it? It seems like they're safe in the top four. This is a great opportunity for Jose to go and attack, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this He'd always take great pleasure. He seems a man that likes to likes to play out his career and score settled rather than overall achievements these days. You know what I mean? It's, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I just find them quite uninspiring, and, and I'll have to caveat my criticism of Newcastle. Remember that 
it's very autobiographical. It'll probably be me being hung over watching the game in a window with no volume on on a laptop. So I've got like a squint and I'm watching a game and I'm not enjoying the game because I'm physically right. discomforted. And unless there's a goal every second or something, then I'm probably my dopamine levels. Are well, not, great to have you, know. you on the football podcast. Then. <laughs> listen, that's how, listen, my sharp analytical mind will be, will be, will be put to other things, Mark. Don't you worry yeah. about that. Oh, I know. I know that. You can, Joe Linton can, can rest easy. And Johnny Willett, or whatever his name is. Those boys can rest easy. Don't worry about them. I'll, I'll, I'll apply my thought elsewhere. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Sorry, can I interrupt with a, a quick question? Is it, far away. Is it Joe Linton? Is it Joe Ellington? I feel that everyone started jokingly calling him Joe Linton, and now it's in just become Joe Linton. I've never heard Joe Ellington ever. I, be, I I'm pretty sure it was Joe Ellington. Well, I remember this, when this Keith is, Gillespie call- scored a goal against Newcastle for Manchester United before he transferred to Newcastle, and the commentator called him Keith Giles Pie. So <laughs> I'm never really sure who oh, was first time I mean, to pronounce the this name. This is up there with after about four years of, you know, being, having his name uh, pronounced incorrectly. Jermaine Genus went. Actually, it's uh, it, it's Genus. It's not Genus. <laughs> what? Like, but you've allowed us to call you Genus for years, and you know, you suspect it's that possibly too polite. Yeah, he was okay being called yeah. uh, Jermaine Jennings because but there was t- some Tandy Newton slang. Tandy Newton's come out today, <laughs> the actress, actor, whatever you call it, and yeah. said that actually we've been saying her name wrong for the last 30 years. What, so, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Andy I don't know Newton, what to who knows? Anymore. This is, this, no. There's been too many revelations. I think we need a break. Yeah, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about some of the other games coming up this weekend, uh, including West Ham against Leicester and Palace against Chelsea. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the show. Hope you enjoyed your little break there. Gritton, what did you do in the break? Uh, just had some pistachios. Delicious. <laughs> nice. Once you pop. That's a different that's a different brand. Is it? Um, let's talk about uh, Palace Chelsea this weekend. Last time out, uh, it was Chelsea getting absolutely mullered by West Brom, by Sam Allardyce's West Brom. I never saw that coming ever in a Madness. million years. Madness. Um, wow. I mean, it was a bloodbath. And I feel, Martin, as though that is going to have really put the willies up Thomas Tuchel and we're going to see a much more defensive outfit from him <laughs> for the rest of the season. What do you Very think? Much- <laughs> Very much so. I mean, you've set me up there. Uh, <laughs> Is that even a phrase? Put the willies vivid, up. Well, vivid imagery from the fifties there from you. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. He's, it, 
it was always gonna it was always gonna come to an end, wasn't it? At some point, but uh, very, very much, you know, the honeymoon period is not just over. It's uh, divorce time already. Divorce time. West Brom <laughs> are kicking in five against you. Um, yeah, I suppose a, a strange one. Just like you know, but let's give West Brom some credit. I think they played with a lot of bravery and a lot of attacking flair and went went for it in a very unsam like way. But uh, but yeah, a slightly rude awakening for Chelsea. We'll see, we'll see how they bounce back from that. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got a few few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, Gareth, do you agree with my use of the word "put the willies up"? Uh, yeah, it's it's a viable and accepted time honoured phrase. I, I think okay, it was uh, it was well chosen. With West Brom, I will say, yeah, I guess it's unexpected by the form. But however, Allardyce's form, there is nothing he likes more than showing that he can out tactic the latest <laughs> trendy manager in the Premier League. Yeah, he yeah, absolutely yeah. relishes it. I mean, famously, usually when he does it, he then takes you in detail, explaining exactly what he did and why he did it, you know, in a slightly Mourinho-esque way. The man's ego is massive. Um, <laughs> what did he say? What did he say after the Liverpool game? What did he say? Something ridiculous, didn't he? He like, he, <laughs> Klopp know, could, it was like Klopp. Well, he could do that with my players. He wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to think like me. You know, like as if it. he's as if he's some kind of thinking in four D or something. In Klopp, there just <laughs> just. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on, Gareth. No, no, it's, it's magnificent stuff. He, you know, he absolutely loves it, and he obviously going back to the, his infamous what's called Sam Aladici. I'd be I'm managing. <laughs> the Italian national team by now. But, uh, well, can, uh, we have a, can we have a quick moment here, Gareth and Gritz, to maybe have a, a, a brief thought experiment on what would happen to Man City if Sam Allardyce took over tomorrow? Um, Gareth, how do you see his first six months at Man City going? I, I think they would be uh, a, per- a perfectly decent top five team. Um, <laughs> it's, to be honest, I mean, you know, under their, their early days of... Uh, of uh, big money uh, ownership. They yeah. were managed by Mark Hughes, who is a bit Allardyce. He did a good job. Yeah, he did a good job. You know, he sort of, he made them competitive enough. I mean, he, yep. you know, had, had, had a few, uh, had, had Joe up front, who is a very sort of Allardyce God, yeah. type big man. Um, you know, Roque Santa Cruz also in, of that, of that sort of Paris. So I could see Allardyce would come in. He would probably spend all the money on Erling, Erling Harlem because He's a big man. It doesn't matter how skillful he is. He would just put balls, you know, onto his head. He'd make him run the channels. And then, you know, he'd get frustrated and spend all the money on Chris Wood in the end. You know what? I, I wouldn't mind a Harlan Chris Wood partnership. I think it'd be... Martin, can you just tell me? What is going on? So, do you know what I was trying to find out? I couldn't remember his surname, Kevin Davis. So, basically, yeah. uh, that's what Harland, uh But I should have remembered him because he wore the same shirt as me at Chesterfield. That's about the only things we have in common. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, he was a good player, Kevin Davis. Came great player. That, so, that was right. just keyboard tapping research. We'll allow that. Yeah, that's oh, what I was I doing. Know. I was literally doing research. Um, it's big old uh, ham ham slapping against the keyboard. Listen, yeah, I'm just I'm a fast typer. Yeah, that's another thing that will shock you. I'm a fast typer. Um, the Bolton early Bolton teams, Acocha, Anelka. Let's not you okay, know yeah. for, Campo. You know Campo. Campo's basically David David Luiz. You know he knows what he's doing. He knows listen, what he's doing. Listen, Martin, I am absolutely not <laughs> criticising Sam Allardyce. I've gone on record several times of him saying. 
He is one of the most progressive coaches we've ever produced. He was the first guy using ProZone. He was one of the first guys up there in the stands watching the team from further up so he could work out tactically what was happening. One of the first guys to bring in these big, big names who are looking for that one last go in the spotlight, the likes of which you just mentioned. I'm a huge Allardyce fan. I just feel like the game now has maybe surpassed him a little bit. That's all. Also, let's throw in when uh, I think Southgate got quite a lot of praise for being a... Uh, uh, quite quite thoughtful he started looking at nfl set plays for, for <laughs> set pieces um Allardyce was one of the first people to say that when he was playing for the uh, tampa bay rowdies in the mls in the early 80s he got of course they were the, with course the they were current, the Sorry, the current nfl champions the, uh, the, the tampa bay buccaneers and he was saying, oh, you know, you know, really got into that, really gave me an appreciation of the tactical understanding of sport. So, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, gave us what we now know, Sam Allardyce. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. That's, that's a great, great little nugget of information there, uh, Gareth. I'm not sure how we got onto Sam Allardyce, um, but, you I'm, know. I'm happy to say that. Billy's up, uh, <laughs> too cool. <laughs> Oh, that's it, yeah. Uh, but this game then, so Palace-Chelsea. Chelsea coming off the back of that. Yeah. Um, Palace, a good result for Palace and decent performance away at Everton. Because uh, oh. I think Palace of a couple of seasons ago, certainly pre-Roy, so you're going back a few seasons there, that they, they're not getting back into that game. And yet I feel like there's some real fortitude in that side now, some real strength and uh, a good mentality. Um, Gareth, what do you make of Palace? Do you think there's anything uh, anything exciting happening there? Or do you think it's just a case of waiting for Zaha to go and trying to reallocate those funds? It's this is almost the issue. It, it really reminds me of um, Charlton Athletic back in the day when they were, you know, a watertight perennial Premier League team under Alan Kerbishley. The fans got very restless and said, we need to progress. We need to be doing better yeah. than this. You know, similar to what happened with Stoke. You know, uh, everyone got yeah. restless and you, know, you don't know how good you have it until it's gone. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, Hodgson's contract isn't going to be renewed at the end of the season. He's going to leave. The, they're going to try and bring in you know, a new outlook, a new management. And I would be more surprised if they, you know, if they do well than, than not, you know, it's, it's usually the death knell for a team that, you know, not, it's not ideas above your station. It's understanding, you know, your core strengths and values and, 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 and staying with that. And I, I'm slightly worried because this is usually the point in the year where a team like Palace caught in mid table, take the, you know, the, the fourth accelerator and, you know, maybe they don't win another one for the last eight. Maybe they win one and the fans suddenly finish the yeah. season on a sour note saying, well, you know, once again, we finished 14th. We should have been pushing for seventh and, um, and then they start pushing for change. Oh, but the last time they so much. Oh, so much. But you, you do understand it from a fan's perspective. You, you know, the season ends with a, with a whimper every time, but the last time they truly tried to change that team was when they brought in Frank de Boer. And that was yeah. one of the most lasted, disastrous appointments. Lasted three months. And, and well, if that, it was, yeah, this it was is absolutely it. ridiculous. This is it. Currently crystal palace with, um, you know, relatively a limited budget, a small ground are the 12th best team in one of the most competitive leagues in world football in the most watched league in the world. I think you should be really, you should be happy with that. You look at the, some of the teams above you, they are enormous, enormous teams, enormous clubs with, with huge history, huge funds, huge signings. Every single. I do agree with you. I think that it, it sort of can only go downwards from here. I, I just don't see how they break into the, not let alone the top 10, top six, top four, whatever. I don't, I just don't see it. I think that, I know it's easy for me to say it's not being a Palace fan, but Palace should be 
reasonably content that they're playing at this level and playing so well at this level and have exciting players and games worth watching every week. I, I, I think I think Palace fans do think that. I think Palace fans are yeah, pragmatic, so. absolutely, and realistic about it. And you, when you're at a club like that, you just hope. Because th- there has been investment in that club from the chairman, yeah. from um, and just back into players and pr- tried to bring in quality and tried to keep the ones and make the right decisions. But uh, you just hope for a cup run. You hope for something a little bit special to happen in the season. But you're absolutely right. Being in the Premier League every week is is is, is the big show. Do you That's know its I mean? own reward. Yeah, yeah it's his own reward. So um, it's it, it, it's it's frustrating for those teams that I mean. Imagine next season for West Ham. This is the thing about Moyes. Almost these these sort of seasons can hamstring you because this is what he did at Everton over and over and over again. He managed to get fifth, sixth, you know, and then around there for like years and years. And everyone's like, well, where's the progression? It's like, well, what, what are you expecting? You know, you but it's very, very difficult for West Ham next year. Um, unless they can keep this team together and keep everyone fit, because all it, all it takes is a couple of you know injuries, and maybe rice to go, yeah. and then and then you look at it differently. But yeah, as far as Palace, I, I fancy Palace against Chelsea. Chelsea are very gettable, and off the back of a loss, um, you know. But as we've seen, Chelsea, uh, I, I, Chelsea, yeah, yeah, I, I just think Chelsea, Chelsea are going to clam up now. That's yeah, going to clam I, up, not attack too much. Just don't, just don't get beaten and try and take a one nil. Um, you mentioned West Ham there, Grits. Let, let's finish on them. I want to talk about West Ham Leicester because uh So this is well, I mean, perfect. It, I have thoughts. Yeah. Oh you have thoughts? Okay, I, good. I've, well these are two, two of the top four playing here. This is I mean, apart from United Spurs, probably the biggest game of the weekend. Um West Ham aren't supposed to be here, yet here we are. They've got no Declan Rice, but they're still doing well. Gareth, what are your thoughts then? I, I don't really have any thoughts, but um <laughs> no. so I, 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 I was wondering earlier, you know, are West Ham the Leicester in terms of not only have they had a good season, are they actually potentially, you know, that good on a going on a basis going forward? You know, players like Rice and Suchek, you know, they don't look like flashes in the pan. They look like you know players you can, you know, essentially build a long-lasting team on. So could they be back in the you know the top four, top five next year as well? I mean, Moyes did this with Everton. You know, when he gets his feet under the table, when he can sort of enact his plan and his blueprint. Um, with the right club, apparently, then you know he showed that he can lay foundations for success. He was, you know, I know. I think some of some fans will point out that they had one good season followed by one bad season a lot, and they would veer from the top six to the bottom eight. But you know, I do wonder. You know, I personally have spent you know four or five years underrating Leicester. Go, it's a fluke. It's a fluke again. Again, it's a fluke. Yeah, yeah. Leicester. You know, I, I I wonder if you, you know you look at the amount of points accrued over the last five years. You know, I'm assuming they'd be in the you know four or five uh, top teams, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. challenge for West Ham is be that they obviously now have the infrastructure to do it. Um, the ownership is an interesting thing. You know, are they meddling less? Are they you know pushing managers to sign absurd players less? You know, the the you know those years of well, sign that ridiculous striker who's clearly going to be a bust, but it's very exciting. Has that gone? Um, We'll see, I guess, how much... Well, they didn't sign Diego Costa when they could have done, so I think that may, maybe answers your question, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the Leicester comparison is a really good one, and, and Leicester have managed to stay up there purely by way of scouting and recruitment, mm. um, and that's what West Ham need to do, and it looks like their on-field recruitment has been very good the last 18 months, but that's a very small sample size compared to you know the last 15, 20 years. So it only takes one more window for them to be back down to 10th again. 
So I think it's maybe too early to talk about them in the same way as Leicester in that regard. But Martin, you you work closely with the club. Um, what's the feeling like there about David Moyes going forward? Well, yeah, we don't we don't get much on that that side of things. The only, only thing you can sense is that you know if if we have European games, what what brilliant place to to host them. It'd be amazing nights there. It'd be rocking. You know, one of the biggest attendances, huge stadium with all the infrastructure in and around it. To you know to put on a, a really good uh, Champions League or, or Europa League, whatever, whatever, yeah, yeah. If, if we can manage to get there. Um, yeah, it, it, you've got to say that the, the just when a team's winning and doing well, the, the mood's always better around, around clubs, you know, and I, and I don't think it's any different for West Ham. Um, but yeah, it's just just keeping the ship afloat this season because you've got, you've got those teams chasing behind you that are, you know, Liverpool and, and and the likes that are just you know, Chelsea, quite, Spurs, uh, Liverpool, yeah, yeah, impending doom. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. I, I, do you know, I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to sign a, a big new contract, and uh, it's going to go tits up. Uh, <laughs> the right, Padre Newcastle contract, the Pardew seven-year one, yeah, with uh, with Alan Carr's dad. I think that expired uh, last month, actually. Genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary. Congratulations, Pardew. Uh, right, that's all we've got time for this week on uh, The Whistleblowers. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you, Grits. Gareth, have you got anything to plug? Uh, I do. We have new music out by uh, Snapped Ankles. Uh, go check that out. It's called Riven is My Business. Uh, it's doing all over your radio airwaves. And uh, stuff. Griff Reese's new album is out on May 21st. Fantastic. Right, we'll check that out. Um, we'll be back same time, same place next week on The Whistleblowers. Until then, from me, Gareth Dobson, Martin Gritton, it is goodbye. Cheers. Cheers. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.